Welcome to the Coaching for Leaders podcast. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Dave Shep. Today we're going to be covering a range of topics on leadership, life purpose, goals, and what you're doing in your life to be happy. I'm a business coach, life coach, and I got a bit of woo-woo in me. I've been creating leaders for over 25 years, and I hope that this show inspires you to bring out your hidden potential and empowers you to live your passion. Let's go ahead and start today's show. And welcome, everyone, to episode 17. I I can't believe I'm at 17 already. This is amazing. I want to thank all of you for your continued support and for the kind comments that I keep getting. This is amazing. So welcome back to Coaching for Leaders. Today, I am extremely honored because I have a guest author. Uh, My author's name is Ron Ward, and Ron has written a book called The Dirty Side of Leadership. From the Appalachian Coalfields to the Rise in Federal Law Enforcement, it's a leadership journey. And when I got this book, it, it was amazing. I, I got it because of the cover, because uh, for me, I'm a, I, I think I'm very sh- a very shallow type reader, because the covers are extremely important to me um, when I look at them. And when I saw the cover, I was like, okay, this is really kind of interesting. And I, I opened up the dust jacket, um, you know, just read it, read inside, and then it just hooked me. And one of the neatest things about Ron is he's a storyteller, and He's a storyteller who has lived this stuff, and he he imparts his wisdom onto the next generation of leaders. And Ron, welcome today. Thank you so much for being here. David, thank you. And I have to say, as we begin, I've become a fan of the podcast, and um, thanks for all you're doing for leaders. Oh, thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, this, this podcast has been an outlet for me that, you know, when the pandemic hit, I was face-to-face everything. Um, you know, because I'm a, I'm a Reiki teacher as well as I teach classes uh, to corporations and then I life coach and everything was face to face. And then all of a sudden the quarantine hit. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so I've had to revamp my business quite a bit this year. And I've been very successful with my decisions and I have some great mentors and, and it, it's been nice. So these podcasts that I'm doing have been amazing. So, you know, the fact that I get to meet people like you is just an extra reward. Uh, yeah. Feelings mutual. For sure. <laughs> Thank you. So your, your book, what, what inspired you to take a, a lifetime of, of being a leader and, and wanting to do this? Yeah, that's, that's a long story. I'm going to shorten that a little bit. But to not sound arrogant, I took numerous leadership programs. I read leadership books, and they would all help to a degree. They would all help certain elements of my leadership. Uh, I love you know, I make a joke about the five steps of success and uh, those five steps help, but there's about a thousand steps that are left out. So I was thinking, I've read all these books. I know some of the jargon. I know what I'm supposed to do. And then I would be confronted with bizarre behaviors. And I'm like, what is this person thinking? Don't, don't they know the five steps to success? You know, I applied the principles to the letter and they're still acting like a complete idiot. Uh, What's wrong here? So um, there was also some immature leadership aspects to my life. I feel like I was inconsistent with decisions. Um, I was not communicating from a position of courage. Many times I was communicating more either passive aggressively or with some intimidation. I wasn't speaking really what I needed to say. So it's twofold. I began to work on myself, my own courage. And I began to realize that this, the things in leadership are very broad and and, uh, just the day-to-day operations are not necessarily found in a book. 
So I began to develop a decision-making process. And we could do that for fun at some point, David, if you want in this interview. But uh, I, I developed my own decision-making process and it started working and I started, I became consistent with my uh, decisions. And then I started working on my communication. I started realizing that I could lead um, a conversation instead of always be responsive. So it was a long process of me taking notes, developing my own skill level. So then I began to have leaders reach out and I would share something. I wouldn't even tell them like the decision-making process that I developed it. I thought it'll get no respect if I say that. So I began to take people through that. And they were like, this is amazing. This has helped me. I had an employee knock on my door and said, I ordered food in two minutes. It usually takes me 15 because I read the whole menu. Um, just some really unique, cool things started to happen. So uh, I then early in my career had to terminate someone. And David, I can't explain the level of anxiety. Now I get in some jobs, they may fire people all the time and it's no big deal. Or maybe there's those borderline narcissistic leaders who like it. I didn't. I care about people and I didn't enjoy it. And when you are terminating a federal employee that the government has invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in, it's a big deal. It's a real big deal. But when everything is said and done, it all sounds good. I had to be the one to sit at the table. I had to be the one to look this person in the eye and say, you know, you, you can't work here any longer. So all of that come, you know, just really begin to resonate within me. And I started taking these notes and it just hit me. I thought, I want to retire a little early from the federal government. I want to write a book. <laughs> and I want to coach leaders. So that's a little bit of a long answer, but that's kind of how it all culminated. I was really angry that I felt ill-prepared and I was so nervous. Yeah, no. And, and I think it's a great answer because a lot of times in life, it takes us having to, we have to go through a lot of stuff in order to realize what's really important and what you know, what it's going to take and, um, th to get to that next level. Uh, I have failed so many times in my life and the fact that I have has made me the person I am today. And I love that. I love who I am today. I mean, I look in the mirror and, and I'm like, I just feel like I'm standing next to my best friend. I'm excited. And it is something that it's been a long journey to get here. Uh, I'm 52 years old and <laughs> it's been a long journey, you, you know, and, and it's just one of those things to where it's, getting here and doing all those things. I remember the first time I had to fire somebody, my mouth just went completely dry, you, you know, and I'm, I'm anxious and 45 minutes prior to the meeting, 15 minutes prior to the meeting, I'm, I'm just like shaking, but I had to do it. I had to, I had to just dig down deep and it's like, yeah, I can do this. Um, and, and I did it and it was successful. And, and I was one of those loss prevention managers that I, you know, whenever people were stealing from the things, my company now, you know, I, one thing you said in the book is never give away your hands. So just keep asking, you know, so I, I would just ask uh, open-ended questions and it was like, well, you know, well, I know you took more and they would just divulge and that I'd be like, wow, I even I was missing that, <laughs> you know, and then, and then it's like, okay, so let's go to your house and get it all, you know? And then we, we literally, we would just go to the house and I remember leaving one guy's house with uh, trash bags full of product, you, you know, that, that he had taken and, you know, when I left, he like shook my hand. He's like, well, thank you for, for respect, respecting me. That's right. And, and that, that was the thing is like, whether I'm firing you or training you, I'm going to treat you with the same amount of respect as a leader. 
because you deserve that as a human being. That's exactly and, right. And you cover that in your book. And I think that's one of the biggest things when I read is like, I've got to reach out to this guy to see if he wants to be on the show because your level of treating people with respect, whether whether you you can't stand them or whether you like them, you you treat people the same. And, and it, it, it's uh, that's something you can't teach. I made a lot of mistakes, David, but that's one that I was consistent with. And a lot of times, you know, I was a federal probation officer before, you know, I became a federal law enforcement instructor and later academy director. And people have no idea, but U.S. probation officers and state probation officers, their primary goal is to help people, you know, they promote behavior change. They want people to be successful. And there's always a bad egg in, in any organization, but people don't realize that and I used to say at graduation that I think we're the greatest federal law enforcement agency because we get that opportunity to change lives. It's that reason. It's not me bragging about skill level. It's the fact that a lot of federal law enforcement agencies, state agencies, they meet someone one time and it's under very challenging circumstances. <laughs> they arrest them. Mm -hmm. But we go, you know, federal probation officers go back over and over and you learn to build relationships. And I remember one time, uh, we had a revocation hearing, and this guy, I tried to work with him. He just couldn't get it together, continued to use drugs heavily, did some stupid stuff. And uh, we went back to court. I had to testify against him, but I liked him. And at the end, I'll never forget this. The, the U.S. Marshals were taking him out of the courtroom, and he said, um, I need to speak to Mr. Ward. And the marshals said, that's not appropriate. He said, please just let me thank him. He tried. And I heard him on my way out. I turned around and I told the marshal, I said, let him, you know, let him bring him over and uh, brought him over. And it, it was just, it was, it was amazing. I mean, it, it made me want to tear up because he was someone who had a difficult childhood. He could not get it together. He tried, but he knew, even though I was responsible for testifying against him and the judge sent him back to prison, he knew I tried. He knew I cared about him. And I think moments like that are as good as anything else I can tell you about in leadership. Yeah, I, I have to completely agree because there are so many people that they, they've been beaten down by so much. They have circumstances that have just not allowed them to develop the necessary tools that they need in order to be successful. And I, I never, like, if I remove that judgment and, and I treat them with respect as, as, I'm, as I'm coaching them or as I'm leading them or as, you know, when I, when I was in the workforce, it, it was amazing of how they responded to you because a lot of times, people with such low self-esteem because they're beaten up by people come in and then you, you start getting the respect and say, Hey, you did a great job today. And they're like, Whoa, what, what, why did you do that? What, what, what is your underlying motives? <laughs> and it's like, no, there is no underlying motives. I'm simply telling you that you did a great job today and I'm very proud of you. Um, and uh, when, when people hear that, they respond in a way that, you know, is, is makes you feel very good as a leader. And it's, it's how good leaders are formed. And it's how good leaders should, should treat. And I, I've been doing this podcast for a while now, and it, it, it literally, I've come across some people who are just so narcissistic and feel that the only way that they can be powerful is by hiring people beneath them because that makes them feel powerful. And I'm like, no, you want to surround yourself by people who are smarter, wiser, stronger than you are so that you can get smarter, wiser, stronger, and so that they make you look good as well. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> That, uh, that saying, you know, I taught him everything he knows, but not everything I know, uh, oh. that's very, very insecure. 
Yeah, it, it really is. I, I've, I, I remember working with a personal trainer as a client several years ago, and I went to one of his first sessions with a client, and the client, he, I mean, it was just like staggering the amount of information he threw at him. And I said, why did you throw all that information at him? And he says, well, I want to make him know how hard it is and make him feel stupid. That way he needs me and he wants to come in. And I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> why, would, why would you even think that? And, and he wouldn't have climbed for long. It didn't work out well. Yeah. There's a <laughs> similar story in my book. Exactly. I work, I work for those people. <laughs> and it's just, it, it, you know, I think the, um, the yeah, it's just, it, it's crazy. One thing is you, that you talk about in your book is, is your martial arts. Um, can you... Can you tell me how Mark, because because I've done jujitsu and it had such a positive role on, or positive impact on me. What what has martial arts done for you and your leadership stuff? Uh, literally early on, I played college basketball and was looking for something. And ironically, I was at a college that had an elective uh, in martial arts, so I messed around, but. Um, as you know, I got bullied a lot if you read the book. So I always had a desire to be Bruce Lee or Muhammad Ali. Uh, Ali was like my hero. And um, so I, I took this karate class and, uh, or as we say from the Japanese aspect, karate. So uh, I, I took a class and I, I can't explain that either. That is almost like the book. I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is it. And I literally sought out um, one of the best instructors in the country. He represented the U.S. in the Pan Am Games, Rick Smith, and began to train with him. And the training was grueling on a level that it's hard to describe, and I would, you know, I will not. But it was that consistency that was required, that discipline, that respect. And frankly, I got to be honest, Dave, I got a little wild in college and was sowing my oats and enjoying life. I got away from home. And if you read my book, I grew up in the coal fields of Southwest right. Virginia. Yeah. So, you know, I'd never seen more than 200 people in one place. So I was, right. I was I'm, a, I'm only kidding about that, but I, you know, it was exciting. So I think, I really think martial arts rescued me because I was definitely partying and enjoying the, the, the fruits of college. Okay. And uh, you could not literally, you could not drink a lot and then work out with Rick Smith the next day. Like they didn't go together. <laughs> they didn't go. And, and I went to day workouts and evening workouts because he, wow. he taught all the time. So uh, yeah, it, uh, it boosted my confidence, gave me some much needed discipline in certain mm -hmm. areas and also taught me to really dig deep. Um, one time we had a Japanese delegation come and I literally came down with the flu. And there's a similar story in the book. I did not put this in the book, but I went to a workout. And I don't even remember the workout at all. And I was so sick. I um, somehow managed to get through it. And I've never passed out in my entire life. And I drove to a friend's house after this eight-hour workout and passed out in the floor and I woke up at three or four in the morning, had no idea where I was, where I'd been. It probably risked my life, but that was the level of dedication. I'm not saying all of that's healthy, but it certainly changed my world. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear that from a lot of people in my world is that the confidence and the self-discipline that it gave me allowed me to be the man or the woman that I am today. Um, and 
you know, I, I didn't go into it as deep as you did. I just, I, I, it was a, a, a two years of my life that I really needed. Um, and it helped me. One part of your book that I really liked is um, we, you were talking about bullying uh, and how they, there were a group of them would bully you. And one day the, the twins were on their own and you stood up to them. And I, I laughed out loud when you're like, I hit one of them and you're like, I don't know which one because they looked alike. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when I read that, when you, when you said you pushed him and he fell down, you know, and it was a, it, I laughed so hard because I, it, because it was so, so honest. So, <laughs> so I, I thought that was great with how, how you handled it. And, you know, standing up for yourself and and as a leader, standing up for yourself. I, I think one thing that, that gets a, a bad rap is the word assertiveness, because I, I recently, um, you know, just wrote a small training guide on assertiveness uh, that, I, that I put out. And people are like, well, you you know, assertiveness is bad. Why would you, why do you want to be assertive? I said, no, assertive is not bad. Aggression is bad. There's a difference between aggression and assertiveness. Exactly you, can be right. a, you can be assertiveness and stand up for yourself and have boundaries and do what's right for you without making someone else feel small. And that's what assertiveness is, is, is you talk to someone, you stand your ground and never make them feel inferior or never make them feel small. That's when you're truly assertive. And people just don't get that because you're, you're standing up for yourself. And you cover that in your book. Um, and you're one of the first leadership um coaches and, and leadership um, entrepreneurs that I've written that have felt that same way. And so, I, you know, it, what led you to, to figure that out? I did one thing that you just said is 12 months before I started writing the book, I stopped reading leadership books because I wanted this to be me, not that I know more than the others, but I want it to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look, if you go back from the 50s to the 60s to the 70s, the 80s, words take on different meanings. And what may seem politically incorrect today may be fine tomorrow. So I just wanted to speak um, from my heart. But I love my mother, in case she listens to this greatly. <laughs> but, but my mother was always worried, worried that she offended someone. So as a kid... Uh, when someone would leave, she would say, oh, I hope I didn't offend them. I hope this, you know, they didn't think this. So I assumed every time you parted company, they were thinking horrible things about you. So later in life, I had to work through that myself. And then I began to realize that I need to teach this to my daughters. I have two beautiful daughters, but we were on vacation. And I remember them saying, dad, can you ask for some towels? Dad, can you ask for more salt? And I realized, uh-oh, I better start training my daughters for the real world. So I started that in, in those small areas. I would say, no, if you want salt, you ask for it. And of course, at first, they're like, no. I'm like, no, you are going to ask for it. <laughs> and uh, so I began to do that. But that decision-making process and communication that I talked about I started practicing in very small ways. And David, this is my problem with the lofty books and leadership training programs. You and I can talk about assertive all day, but there are people who get run over, they get stepped on, they even allow their employees to bully them. So I wanted to go beneath that and get to the steps so you could be assertive. But yes, I agree with you 100%. There's a big difference. As a matter of fact, you're not going to change anyone's life if you're not assertive. If you've got a friend that keeps making the same stupid mistakes and you're not assertive and you give them a hug every day, well, guess what? You've hugged them into disaster. So uh, you, of all people, know it takes assertiveness to coach or you're not a real coach. 
Uh, my basketball coach used to have some choice words for us. It, 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 he didn't give us a hug when we uh, fouled someone or threw the ball out of bounds. So, <laughs> and and that's the thing is there's so many things right now that that people do get offended at, and you know it's just it. Certain people they don't offend; they simply are honest. And sometimes you have to hold up a mirror, um, and and it, it's extremely hard. One thing I really liked about your book is um, you broke it down into lessons and you call them dirty lessons, you know, the, the DLs. And the way, that, the way that he wrote this book, listeners, is he would tell a, sh a short story and then apply the dirty lesson to it. So he has 100 lessons in the book um, with, with the stories. And this, he is such an amazing storyteller because you feel like you're there. Like I said, you're laughing out loud. Um, there's a part in the book about a fly swatter that was just hysterical. And, and the fact that he realized it before he ended up uh, <laughs> with a reputation was, was amazing. So when you get this book, make sure you look. But there are parts where you just literally laugh out loud. Um, it is informative. It is just one of the, the best books I've read on leadership in a long time. One thing that he gets beyond a doubt um, that I have preached for so long is delegation, the importance of delegation. Because I know so many managers who feel like they have to do it all themselves. What, what was your defining moment with, with dele delegation, Ron, that you felt like it, it was an important part of leadership? That part is in the book. And you mentioned something um, interesting about surrounding yourself with great people. Um, like any other leader, I think I could have called this the dirty book of failures, you know, just call <laughs> my, all of my failures. But um, I have strengths and I have weaknesses. So when you are in federal law enforcement and when I went to the academy, you have to have every minute of every day, you have to have an instructor, <clears throat> resources. And we were in the judicial branch of government, not to get complicated, but we were a partner with Homeland Security. So we are actually um, operating training at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, even though we're in a different branch of government. So you, there's just a lot to balance. I had a lot of responsibilities, but one of the most difficult parts is scheduling, is developing those schedules. Now we have automated systems, but in 2005, literally we would take a conference room table and we would be running multiple programs from a firearms instructor class, defensive tactics to the basic training class. And you had to make sure that this instructor on this day at this time was not over here on one of these other classes. David, I can't tell you how much I hated that. And I was not good at it. I, I think my uh, short-term memory or my cognitive skills just did not line up for that. So I would sit in those meetings. I offered little I would be trying to find something I could catch to look smart, but I couldn't even do that. And uh, so I finally realized I started watching and I got a couple of people who are stellar. You know, they get it. They're having most of the conversation. So basically we had a meeting and I explained, look, I trust you guys. And I want to put these two people as primary. Now, of course, that wasn't their favorite assignment that they ever got, but I always complimented them. I said, I'll be right upstairs if I can help in any way. But that took so much pressure off of me because I put the talented people doing that and, of course, tried to be a motivation and, and express my appreciation. But that was the beginning of delegation. But I still then later 
began to coach other managers and I would see exactly what you just said, that guilt complex of, well, well, I can knock this out. But the problem is we have to align those priorities. I love what the military says. They say mission first, people always. And I love that. And that was kind of my mantra. And if you are doing things that actually take you away from the people or slow the mission, then think about delegation. It may need to be delegated and it's okay. That's why you got promoted. It's okay. Yeah, it really is. And, and I always tell people that uh, delegation without follow-up is simply wishful thinking. And, and it literally is. If you're going to delegate, oh, you do it. I think I, it, because it empowers people, it teaches them, it lets them become future leaders themselves. But you need to make sure that you, that you A, when you delegate, that you teach. Like if, if you're going to show somebody how to do or have somebody do something, make sure they understand how to do it. Have them repeat it back to you that they understand. And then follow up. And, and you don't give them a seven-day assignment and then on day seven, follow up. You follow up day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. Every day you're following up, just doing check-ins. Because if you go seven days and they're doing this task and then they, they do it incorrectly, you've wasted seven days and then they feel bad because they feel like they failed you at, at, because they're trying to impress you. So when you delegate, make sure you're doing the training and make sure you're doing the follow-up is, is my advice to you because, and then follow up sporadically, not just at the end, because it, it's so important. And I've had many people who have delegated to me and they haven't trained me. And I pulled some boneheaded mistakes where I wish, oh, I wish I had some feedback, but also, you know, it teaches cognitive skills of problem solving and, and critical thinking on my end when I didn't have the training. And you cover that in your book and you talk about the, the ability to problem solve and and just to step outside the box and think about things. Um, have you ever had a situation where that kind of bit you in the ass? Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course I have. I, yeah, and, and I, I think that's the same with me. Like I, I always tell people, I like, I like to push the envelope. And 75% of the time it worked. But that other 25% of the time I ended up in my supervisor's office. <laughs> yes, well, and, and to do a shameless plug, my book does have a delegation chart. And it's interesting, someone called me the other day and said, you know, I followed your chart and they had a question. And I, I thought it was really cool that, uh, you know, they were using the, the chart to go by. But the, the chart explains, you know, you want to make sure someone has the resources, they have the information that they need, um, the ability. And so I, I had given an assignment not that long ago, really. And um, basically, when you're accredited, there's a certain way you have to do things. There's no way around that. But I forgot to mention that to someone. And they did a good job with a project, but it did not meet the accreditation standards. So that was uh, an oversight on my part. Um, but also, you know, the basics always happen when you're a manager. You have certain people who meet deadlines and certain people who don't. And you're exactly right. You have to follow up and make sure that things are going. But let's face it, once you get to know your people, there's some people you know you need to follow up three or four times. And there's others, you know, they're going to have it four days early. It, yeah. it's, it's true. I had one manager, he would send me, I would give an assignment, he would send it back. And then tech, uh, email me three times to see if I checked his work yet. So I was, <laughs> I was the one on the hook. But yeah, you're you're correct. Delegation is awesome. very important in leadership. <laughs> the um the 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 one part of the book that stuck out to me, I, I wrote it down because it was like my favorite quote that you had written, uh, and I'd never heard it before. 
but it, it really resonated with me was just because you're right doesn't make you right. And, and, and for me, that, that, that stuck out because there are times in my life where I've been like, this person is wrong and the situation is wrong and I'm right. And I didn't have the wisdom to just shut up. <laughs> and I didn't have the wisdom to go, okay, I, I don't have the power to change the situation. Uh, and it, it resulted. So, so now that I do have the wisdom, there are times where I know I'm right. And, but in order for me to be right, I have to make someone else look foolish. Or I have to create an, an unresolved situation that, that could lead to some turmoil. So I just, I back down now and I'm like, okay, this isn't the windmill that I need to fight right now. I need to pick and choose my battles. Um, and so when you, when you said that, uh, again, prior to, prior to us recording today, we talked a little bit and the type of book that this is, I wish that I would have had this 20 years ago, 30 years ago, because I had to find out all this stuff just like you did, you know, you're living a life and, and you get all this. This is the book that encompasses everything about leadership. You were so thorough. One of, one of the things that, that I was thinking about is um, I'll have to, when I'm reading it, and, and I was probably 80% through it, and I thought to myself, well, I have to ask him what it's like uh, to be promoted from within. And like as soon as I thought that, and I wrote that on my little notes, um, as, as I'm going through it, uh, it, it I, it's there. And I'm like, that's amazing. You, you know, so you talk about the promotion from within your peer group or in your same department. Oh, friend today, boss tomorrow. Yeah, you, you know, and that that has always been my thing because I've always been promoted from within. And you make a lot of mistakes when you're young and because, you you know, you sit there and you badmouth the company, you badmouth the supervisor, and, and then all of a sudden you lose the supervisor. And then you don't have the credibility because it's like, hey, um, I, you know, well, you know, just last week, Dave, you were bashing it now. Now you're telling me I got to do it. What the hell? And you lose that credibility. What advice do you have to a, a, a leader who has made a lot of, who's made some mistakes, they get your book and they're like, oh my God, this, I'm going to start doing this, everything in this book because this book speaks to me. They want to change, but then they go into the workplace and they're, because they've made mistakes in the past, they can't implement the things that you're talking about. If, if you could speak to a new leader who's listening today and say, you know, that has your book and wants to do that, what advice would you give them? The first thing, David, is it takes time and patience. Unfortunately, even your level of experience, my level, or anyone else, uh, you can't flip a switch on leadership. And I tell people sometimes, you know, it's like turning a ship. It's not turning a boat. And it may take you a year. People don't want to hear that. But you have to focus on, you know, timeliness. I had a manager used to, I mean, someone who used to always be a little bit late, but ended up getting promoted to management and then wanted everybody to come in on time. And um, I talked to that person. Now it happened to be someone I knew. And I said, hey, I remember you being late a couple of times. And he said, well, no one said anything. I'm like, well, just because you say be on time doesn't mean they remember your actions. But guess what? Their memory is going to fade as they see you shine. And it, it's not the quick fix that people want, but you establish those habits or develop those habits. You know, you set your, your personal standards, develop those habits. And in time, people will see that you have this renewed passion about the job, even if you've already been in management. But yes, it, it's going to take some time. But as you're consistent, it will begin to permeate the agency and people will see, uh, if you ever been around someone, they're like, man, 
you know, David's changed. Uh, he's working out now. They start to see those kind of things and, and it takes some time. So that's not an easy answer, but I think it is that setting personal standards, consistency, um, taking care of yourself and taking care of individuals. You know, those analytical people that, that you can tell are fake when they say, how was your weekend? And you want to be like robot, you know, a robot. Fine. How was yours? Uh, you know, it's it's empathy, compassion, interest, those those kind of things. But it will you can change, but it takes time. One one thing that you and I have in common is we both like superheroes and superhero movies, and, and you know, I, I I've, I've lived my life wanting, you you know just reading comic books and all the comic books became movies and all it, it was amazing and that hero complex and you know as a leader as a new leader you go in and you have this this hero mentality of like i'm going to be everyone's hero and then you try to you really do a lot of enabling <laughs> and you try to save people and and it's one of the biggest management mistakes that, that, I, that I, I tell people like look don't be a superhero you know inspire others to be a superhero that, that's, that's, that's great. That, 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 that's what I want you to do. Um, because it, it's not your job as a leader to go in and save everyone and save the department and change them. It's, it's your job to create heroes. Um, David, stop the podcast. I'm writing that one down. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> that's funny. Thank you so much. But it, it literally is. You have to, you have to, you have to create superheroes. You know, I always tell people, I, you know, as much as I love Captain America, I would rather be Professor Xavier, you know, I, I, I just, I really, you know, because that, that, that's who, that's who I am. And, and that's what, what it is. And although um, it, it's been a struggle in, in, in a lot of ways in my life, but I, but I think that when you stop enabling people and stop enabling this bad behavior, you challenge people, healthy conflict is so good in the workplace, as long as it's done with respect. And as long as it's done to, to be professional, you can do it. But you and you need to manage up as much as you manage down. You know, I had so many bosses who were just numbers oriented and they didn't care about the people. And then I walk in and I'm like rewriting my job description. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> you know, yeah. we are gonna we are gonna treat these people with respect and, and we're going to, you know, and I've had great success because of that. And and I've championed a lot of people in, in that I've worked with. Um, and it has led to lifelong either professional relationships or lifelong friendships. And that's what being a, a leader is, is, is that, you know, I have a list of people that I could call at 2 a.m. and they'd be at my side because, that's, right. because <laughs> that, that, that's just how, how they see me. And, and I have the same, I have mentors in the same way. What, how, what are you, um, what are you working on now? Like what is your next project that you're doing now that the book is out? I am, am very excited about this. I'm working on, it's going to be called um, the DSL uh, Masterclass in Leadership. And I'm taking each of the 100 lessons and I'm going to be providing different stories, everything from object lessons. You mentioned martial arts. I'm going to show how the traditional Japanese silk black belt, the more you wear it, it turns white again. And, and I've got one and it's symbolic that you're always learning, but it's going to have all 100 of the dirty lessons. I have 20 contributors. So in other words, one out of every five, there will be someone who's going to contribute and give their perspective on that particular lesson. And I decided I'm going to go all the way from a college student up to 
the former DEA Academy director to a Hollywood movie producer. So I want this to be robust and diverse and, and get a lot of different perspectives. And the other thing that I'm excited about, and I hope this goes over well with managers, but I mentioned to you that as a probation officer, we try to promote behavior change. This program is going to be designed to ask managers the difficult questions. In other words, how would other managers describe you? How would your team describe you or your self-reports? How would, or are you willing to do some introspection? Are you willing to make changes? Um, are there areas you know, that you could improve upon? And throughout, it's going to be challenging behaviors. And the reason I wanted to do that, I'll give you an example. It's in the book, but I, I had this person that I worked with and really were talented. And this is the sad part about immaturity and insecurity and some of the things that we see, some of the most talented people undermine themselves by their own actions. And they eliminate the ability to be promoted unless you have an insecure manager who's intimidated and promotes them anyway, and then it's hell for the whole office. Uh, I've seen that happen, honestly. I've been there, done that. <laughs> but these people, I, I sent this individual to an extensive training, leadership training program where you even had to go off site and do a project and came back, which was basically like, you know, we, we use superheroes. It was like he was a villain, but he was a super villain because he was even, he had more knowledge than he had before. So instead of really getting on the team, he would come in and tell me the latest jargon in the leadership world and demean me if I hadn't heard that particular term. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, I believe we are at the point that we have to challenge behavior and we have to look at our own behaviors if we're really gonna be successful. So much of management is experiential. You can take the most talented individual in the world and you drop them into a company, they are gonna have to learn the policies, procedures, you know, the, the way they do business, the way they communicate, the day-to-day -day operations before they can really be effective. Because you may have the best idea, but it may not be within that company's jargon, their policy, their behaviors. So uh, it's, it's broad. But the, what I'm most proud of about this online leadership program, I hope it's going to be ready middle to the end of February. It's a lot of editing. But um, uh, it it's, really it, is. it's gonna it's gonna get yeah you feel me yeah. uh, it, it's it's going to not pressure managers but it's certainly going to challenge managers throughout and it's for potential and current managers and experienced managers can take it but at the end of that you're going to get a very nice certificate uh, I wrote this thing called the manager's creed that I challenge people to put on their desk it's at the beginning of the book and say it to themselves and have seen mm -hmm. some tremendous success in people challenging themselves. And they'll get a copy of those dirty lessons or DLs as we call them. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited about that, that project and it's coming together nicely. That, that's amazing. I, I, it's been such a pleasure today having you on the show. Um, I'm gonna put um, in the show notes today, I'll put, um, I'll put your book in there as well as your website. Uh, one thing I like about your website too is that you offer autographed copies of the book. Um, you, you know, so listeners, if you if you do, I highly, highly recommend that you get this book. Check it out. 
it, it, it was an amazing read. You feel like you know him at the end because it, 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 he, because of his storytelling. He's an exceptional storyteller. He's an exceptional human being. And I highly recommend this book. Um, so please, please, please take a look at it. Um, and leave, leave some notes and comments on, on, leave some reviews if you get the book for him because we all, we all survive with reviews nowadays. So if you read a book, if you read this book and you like it, leave him a review. Um, Ron, it has been a pleasure having you on the show today. I, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm very, very thankful that you're here. David, I'm honored and uh, I'm a new fan. So uh, <laughs> keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Okay, okay guys, I will talk to you guys next week. Take care.